Capital Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Last week, the CDC announced that fully vaccinated people don't need to wear masks in most cases. That is most cases. Remember, you still have to wear a mask if you're traveling by plane, by bus, or by scuba. I get it. Uh, the main thing there being that you don't have to wear a mask if you've been vaccinated anywhere. You just It doesn't make any sense. No, there's no need. But the state I live in is going to continue it for a month for no reason whatsoever. I almost feel like Cal Unifornia or Cal Unicornia isn't strong enough. Cal Idiotica? I don't, I don't know. Craig Gottwalls, Craig the Healthcare Guru joins us. He's an attorney at law, benefit consultant, and Benefit Revolution is his website. Uh, also a longtime friend of the show, my former uh, mountain bike riding buddy until my joints got weak. And I don't mean I started buying substandard pot. <laughs> I mean, I just got old. Uh, Craig, hey, how are you, sir? I'm well, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, terrific. As usual, you've sent us a fair amount of very interesting information. Do you mind if we start with the big budget lie that is uh, government medical programs? I find this so interesting. Ah, uh, yes, yes. This this lie has been going on in one iteration or another since the 1990s. This particular lie, and it's it's the number one way that. Uh, big state politicians get their favorite programs through. So whether we're talking about Obamacare or the latest CARES Act, the way that politicians push these things through Congress is to say, well, this this law, you know, this law is going to help so many millions of Americans, and it's only going to cost only, I get something under a trillion or maybe 1.3 trillion or, or, or some number that they find is palatable by the general public at the time, right? So this was done uh, most famously with Obamacare in 2009 when they said, well, we're, Obamacare is only going to cost $0.9 trillion. It's going to $900 billion. And, and part of the reason it was going to cost that small of an amount, I know it makes me choke to say that small of an amount, was to say written into Obamacare was a provision that they were going to cut Medicare, the reimbursements to doctors and hospitals, by 2% per year for like a 10-year period. Okay. Wow. So wow. when this when the when the accountants when the CBO gets to that, of course they're just accountants. They have to look at it and and say, well, okay, if they are going to cut what we pay Medicare by two percent per year and add all these other things to cover Obamacare, then yes, Obamacare is going to cost nine hundred and fifty billion dollars. So let me jump in but here, Craig, just to make yeah, sure that everybody yeah. understands. This is if I said to Judy, honey, I'm going to go buy a brand new loaded F-150. Here's the car payment. But starting next year, I'm going to cut the car payment by $20 a month. Every month, I'm going to pay less than the car payment as if I have the power to do that. But I never yeah, intend or, or, to do that. Or maybe say Starting next year, that's okay, honey, because our car budget's going to be fine because what we're going to pay for insurance is going to be cut by $50 a month, right? And then, of course, when the next year comes around, insurance costs actually go up and you don't cut what you're going to pay for insurance, $50 a month. So your entire budget just explodes. So has Congress ever actually cut the payments to no. doctors through Medicare? 
No, the very latest one uh, that was just in the news in the last few weeks was, um, that, again, another, another 2% cut to Medicare. This one dating back to the Budget Control Act of 2011. And this, again, was supposed to be 2% per year. Now, remember, for your listeners, I, I repeat this every time, but I got to say it. Medicare pays less than half of what an employer plan pays to hospitals when you go in to have work done. So Medicare reimburses so little already that if we really were to cut Medicare, you would have a mutiny on your hands because hospitals would just throw their hands up in the air and say, we're not treating seniors anymore. And of course, seniors vote and that wouldn't be good for reelection. So there never really will be a cut to Medicare, but they use this trick to budget their laws. So we've had this 2% cut on the books going back to 2011. And just last month, uh, Congress voted again. This is bipartisan malfeasance. 384 to 38 to say, well, we're not going to go ahead and put that cut in now because right now we're in a national pandemic. It wouldn't wouldn't be proper. And so we've got to pay for the CARES Act. And so we're not going to do that. So once again, we're bamboozled. We're lied to. We're cheated. That's incredible. It's yeah, absolutely and, and, incredible. Overwhelmingly bipartisan support to uh, to to say, nah, nah, the cuts that uh, that were mandated, in, nah, we'll skip them this year and next yeah, and year. They and they do year that every year. That. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Exactly. Every every year, multiple laws: Obamacare, the CARES Act. I mean, just you could go to. This started in the nineties. It's 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 ridiculous, guys. It's and right, ridiculous. And, and the and, average person, including me, doesn't pay attention to those votes and doesn't even know they no, happen. That's right. amazing. Okay, okay, I don't so want to. I don't want to spend. Gentlemen, I have to work hard. I have to work hard to find this stuff. I mean, so I, I guarantee you, the average person doesn't follow it. Okay, I don't want to spend all our time on that because you have so much good stuff. I mean, for instance, you pointed out uh, that uh, Obamacare now extends to families making as much as half a million dollars a year. Yeah, we talked about that last month when I was on your show. The, one of the changes put forth because of the CARES Act was to say, wait, people are having a hard time. So Obamacare, as originally written, said, look, we're going to give taxpayer dollars to people to buy health care. But once you make like $106,000, $107,000 a year as a family, you don't get taxpayer dollars anymore. Well, the Biden administration and Congress has changed that, and now you can actually make up to half a million dollars a year and still get taxpayer dollars to buy your Obamacare. So we have fun? we have something close to government uh, medical care already, don't we? Oh, oh yeah, it, it's it's uh, again an, another repeat stat for you folks. 70% of blue states, the healthcare provided in 70 in, excuse me, in the blue states, 70% of healthcare is taxpayer funded. Nationally, that number is 66% of healthcare is taxpayer funded. So we're clinging to a third. We're clinging to 30% of, of tax, tax, of non-taxpayer funded healthcare in this country. Well, could you and, make and, the and, argument and, at this point then, like if you're a high earner, you, you might welcome just universal health care because you're the only people left that are paying out of pocket. I mean, you might as well make it universal just to include, you know, everyone else. Oh, goodness. You, you know, Jack, if if one were to look at this purely cynically and, and entirely based upon self-motive, and if one were, say, over the age of 55 or 60, <laughs> you, you might take that approach. But the reality is we're going to tank our country and we're going to tank our health care system with that move. I'm fired up, guys. It's I see the end in sight and I don't know what we can do to stop it. All right, let's uh, tell me this. What is the Medicare uh, trust fund and and how's it looking? 
So the Medicare trust fund is what we use to pay for Medicare. It's what we're all supposed to, what what comes out of our paychecks to pay for Medicare. It is now, according to the CBO, this is, so this is according to government bean counters, not some spin machine. It will be exhausted by 2024. And this is the closest we've ever come to bankruptcy in Medicare in the 55 year history of Medicare. And all the federal government legislators and the administration can talk about is how can we expand Medicare to more people, right? Bernie wants to expand it to everybody. Biden's talking about dropping it down to age 55 or even age 50 so that we can put more people into a system that we cannot pay for now. So are we not looking, are we not looking at like gigantic tax increases within five years? Well, (laughs) or or just borrowing increases. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a combination of tax increases plus inflation plus money printing plus borrowing to the point where we will tank what we've we've probably already tanked our economy. But I think there's hope that we could limp along and, and, and make this thing work in the long run. The problem is right now, gentlemen, right now, today. The people, everybody wants to talk about the fact that we're 28 trillion in debt. And yeah, in hard dollars, that's true. But once you add in the unfunded liabilities, once you say, how much are we really in debt when we have to pay for Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid? That number is 148 trillion, meaning each U.S. citizen owes $444,000 today, today. And we want to expand that debt with Medicare that we already can't pay for three years from today. Not to mention a few trillion dollars worth of other programs that are getting uh, pushed right now. So when you say you feel, you see the end coming and you and you and there's no way we can stop it, what does the end look like? I mean, what what as a as a guy cannibalism? Just, <laughs> what does the end look like to you? Uh, massive economic collapse in the United States, no longer being the world empire. Uh, it, 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 now, maybe maybe we look something like the U.K. or France, where we just take a much smaller role. We don't have growth. Everybody just has one car. Uh, we take a lot of public transportation, but but have very high taxes more like maybe we look more like Rome because no, no country has ever done what we've done here. We've never had this level of debt escalating this quickly. And the problem is we are the reserve currency for the world. So when we collapse. The whole global economy is going to go. And now, this is a cheery little segment. How to make that debt bigger. Well, <laughs> guys, guys, you know, the thing that, that just made me so sick lately, gentlemen, is you can go onto YouTube and watch the most eloquent defenders of these topics from the 1960s to the 1980s, and that's Ronald Reagan and Milton Friedman. Their speeches on why you don't let your country socialize medicine because it's, it's the last straw and then you will become socialized, They're, they were the most def- eloquent defenders of, of responsible budgeting and no socialized medicine. And we had them in power in the seventies and eighties and we're still making this mistake. And that's what, that's what really kills me guys. As I look at this now and I think, who do we have today that can make the arguments that Reagan and Friedman made in the seventies and eighties? Nobody. And well, so we're just doing it. We're just blowing this up. All right. And, and uh, you know, it could be if uh, Martian scholars uh, write a, a book on humankind, they will say there is just a natural tendency among that species toward uh, government control and socialism. That's just the way the beast evolves. I don't know. Uh, Craig Gottwals, Craig, the healthcare guru. Uh, what's your website again if people want to uh, get in touch? It's uh, benefit-revolution.com. 
Okay, fabulous. Well, uh, it was. Let, let me just, Mr. Franklin, what have you given us? A republic if you can keep it. Yeah. Right. Here, here. Craig, thanks, buddy. You know, we've thanks, been ta- we've been talking to Craig for years, and uh, so far all his predictions have been right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was dead on everything that happened with Obamacare, for instance. Yeah. They'll never enforce this. This will slide to a, 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 a different uh, income level. This will slide to a different age group. Here's why it's not one trillion. It's going to be two and a half trillion, and it's always true. <laughs> yeah, that's something. Yeah, that's something. You can still live a happy life. You know, we're not here to, to make you miserable or anything. You can still have a wonderful life. It's just terrible governmental policy. Terrible. Unbelievable. Uh, one area of the country where they've done away with a law that required you to stand for the national anthem. I didn't know we still had laws like that, but we did some places that they've now done away with. Um, some COVID stuff we probably ought to tell you about. Texas had zero deaths in a day for the first time since this whole thing started way back last March. That's how much better it's gotten in some parts of the country. The NBA's play-in tournament for the first time ever has begun. Kind of confusing. All kinds of stuff on the way. Stay here. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Big showdown tomorrow. You ready for this? LeBron James and Steph Curry, the Lakers, and Golden State. It is upon us. It's going to be a good one. Yes, it will be. It's a matchup. Okay, that's 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 typical drive-by media. Yeah, that would be very exciting if this were three or four years ago. Um, but so that's the Warriors and the Lakers in the play-in tournament in the NBA. I don't even know how this. So the what's the hell's going on? So so in previous years, uh, the top eight teams from each conference made it to the playoffs. This year, they uh, essentially seed six through ten play in kind of a mini two-game tournament to figure out who the last two seeds are to officially make the playoffs. A two-game tournament. Uh, if you're the seventh seed, you have to lose twice to miss the playoffs. Oh, wow. Okay. So all you have to do is win one game. If you're the eighth seed or whatever, you got to win both games. Uh, or the ten seed or whatever yeah, hell the, we're talking about. If you're about. the nine or ten, I think you may have to win two. Uh, okay. But, yeah, the I, seven has to lose twice. It's yeah. I keep forgetting. The NBA is dead to me. Right. That's why uh, Sean was weighing in on that, because I know you're actively not paying attention because they're in bed with China. Uh, they're in bed with China and uh, Black Lives Matter, which is an avowedly Marxist organization, and I have more information on how crooked they are. How crooked uh, BLM is. Oh, go ahead, if you oh, want yeah. to do that now. Well, yeah, sure. And you corporations that poured millions of dollars into the coffers of a Marxist organization in an attempt to virtue signal and keep the woke crowd from, you know, crucifying you... <clears throat> Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors was identified in a press release as co-chair of an art company that has profited from several activist groups that Cullors is a co-founder and leader of, which charity experts say amounts to self-dealing and raises serious ethical and legal questions. In other words, <clears throat> they have an interconnected series of um, of uh, providers and, and charities and companies and foundations, and they all pour money into and out of each other like uh, 
like some sort of fountain you might buy there at the fountain store by the highway. And uh, But they drain a certain amount of the money away, and so uh, BLM hires an arts foundation to do some work. Mm-hmm. Well, Patrice Cullors owns the art foundation, or it employs her husband, or right. her husband owns it, and there's just all sorts of that. Uh, said uh, charity expert Doug White, uh, self-dealing is when someone in a position to direct money and who uses it on his or her behalf. That's basically what it boils down to. And this fits that largely that definition. Um, I feel personally and from an ethical perspective, there are a huge number of problems here. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah, but utterly unsurprising. Hey, coming up next segment, burnout, modern affliction or human condition? Good one. So is this something us, you know, the weak millennials have brought us? <laughs> Or the modern person? Or is it just something all human beings have always, always dealt with? Some interesting stuff on that. I suspect pretty strongly it's the latter, but I will stay tuned. A uh, couple of headlines for you we won't get deep into, but I like this article in the New York Times. The new Arab street. It's online, global, and growing, and it wants to seize the narrative from traditional news media. My whole life you've always heard about what the Arab street thinks, and they literally meant the people on the street. Well, now the Arab street is online and trying to influence the world with, you know, the propaganda that you can get out through Twitter and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. Really interesting. And another New York Times article, how Europe failed miserably with vaccines. How long did we hear that evil, evil Trump had done some poorly? Look at how great Europe is. No, how Europe failed miserably with vaccines. Operation Warp Speed, baby. One of the great triumphs in the history of this country. Uh, Do you have burnout? You want to stay tuned for this then. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. There's tension between Democrats about the Middle East. Members of the squad support the Palestinians and criticized how the Biden administration is handling the crisis. As long as the message from Washington is that our military support for Israel is unconditional, Netanyahu's extremism right-wing government will continue to expand settlements. We cannot stand idly and complicitly by and allow the occupation and oppression of the Palestinian people to continue. We're scared to stand up to the incarceration of children in Palestine. It's because maybe it'll force us to, to confront the incarceration of children here on our border. Oh, that's a coherent political argument. Thank the, you for that. Those arguments have been around as long as I've been paying attention to the Middle East conflict, but I don't remember members of Congress ever saying that stuff. I remember seeing people on, you know, Sunday talk shows or reading columns in the various newspapers, opinion pieces. I don't remember people in in government having that position. Do you? Yeah, I could be. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember well enough to trust my memory. I'm sure there have been some pretty radical lefty types in Congress before. But uh, the fact that there are a group of them and they are avowedly under dogma spouting socialists third world is always right people i don't you know yeah they're they're distinctive um uh, what was i going to say i started reading when i was about to talk and got distracted my brain stopped my brain stopped um i've got a good quote here from somebody saying it is worth reminding everyone every once in a while that hamas is backed by iran so this is a proxy fight between iran and israel now back to you i mean if you look at it that way how hard is it to pick a side yeah come on 
Yeah, Iran is attacking Israel from the Gaza Strip, sacrificing civilians cheerfully to their greater ends. One side, their goal is to just lob missiles in and kill whoever they can hit. The other side tries to at least only uh, you know take out the missile sites and hit combatants, not to kill children on a bus, for instance. In fact, right. there's a video making the rounds today that I'm sure was put out as propaganda by Israel, but it doesn't mean it's not true of fighter pilots about to drop bombs and saying, no, there are kids there, so let's hold off of calling it off. Hamas doesn't do that. Right, right. Yeah, boy, and both sides understand they have the eyes and ears of the world right now, so they're spinning like crazy. It's it's strange the extent to which that's part of the modern world. There's actually a great piece, New York Times Magazine or New York Times itself, about how a bunch of like former journalists and former intelligence pros have gotten together and formed these research-slash-intelligence-slash-misinformation companies. And they have ties to the government. They have ties to the big uh, news media and the rest of it. And they will dig into people's past. They will go through their garbage. They will use uh, the methods of intelligence. And then they will concoct fake narratives or maybe real narratives. They'll contact their, their contacts in the news media and get push that word out as fast as they can. And the whole Steele dossier thing was a beautiful example of how that works. That was a little ham-handed and dumb, although all the... Uh, you know, lefty media fell for it, but that's now a major industry: misinformation and private intelligence. Lovely. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's here to stay. Um, that article I just read from about how the new Arab Street is online. The Arab Street is, yeah, is that um, for for the smart set? This is the way you influence people. This is the way you get your voice heard. Not chanting in a mob on the streets of wherever in the Middle East. Right. And it has all the subtlety and uh, truthfulness of of the average Twitter account. I know next segment we're going to get into some of the big Supreme Court cases that are going to be taken up next year, some some of the biggest in American history. And some pretty big rulings just issued as well. Cool. Um, as soon as we tell you about Simply Safe, I'm going to tell you about burnout, trying to figure out whether it's a modern affliction or just the human condition. And if it is the human condition, then why does that have a name? If it's just what being a human is. Uh, oh, right. That, that yeah. next. Yeah, Simply Safe, the best home security of 2021, according to U.S. News. It is better quality. It is higher quality. It's also simple. It's less expensive. And what really sets Simply Safe apart are its people. Yep, when an alarm goes off, a person who cares is there for you with a phone call to make sure you're okay. When an emergency happens, a person who cares is there for you by getting fire and police responders to your front door right away. Or if you're just having a problem setting up your system, a person who cares is there for you with a friendly chat and a quick resolution that's all simply safe. As Joe mentioned, it's the best home security you can get. If you want to click around and learn about it, do it at simplysafe.com. But once you decide you're going to do this, and you will, it's a great system, go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Customize your system. You'll get a free security camera because you dropped our code. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. Just go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Again, you get that free security camera, simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Are you burned out? By the modern definition, which is so stressed out, I guess, from life that you can't quite function correctly. Um, burnout, in general, is said to date to 1973. That's about the time the first time the phrase was ever used. By the 1990s, according to this article by Jill Lepore, uh, by the 1980s, everyone was burned out. 
1990, when a Princeton scholar published a new a new English translation of the Iliad, it had Achilles saying uh, he was burned out. So, Man, I mean, I'm stressed. It had become so popular that they were, all these centaurs and, and, and sirens <laughs> and stuff. I mean, this is burned out. It's pointed out that in the Bible, it looks like Moses was burned out when at one point he said, I'm not able to bear this all alone because it's too heavy for me. Or Elijah in uh, Kings who said, uh, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. That's what I'd like to do today. And requested for himself that he might die. He said, this is enough. Was that burnout? Has burnout always existed? That sure sounds like it to me. It does. Which gets to the question, which is one of the more interesting parts of this uh, article, as it goes through the history of burnout. Um, three in five workers say they're burned out currently. And uh, three out of four in the United States say they're burned out. Um, if burnout, and, and then there's a lot of talk of burnout being worse during the pandemic, obviously. If burnout is just part of the human condition, if it's just like, you know, that's just something that happens to human beings, then does it need a special name? Um, uh, yeah, I suppose. Well, love has a name and death and, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Sure, it can have a name. I just, I always need to know what's the definition. And and if somebody, like, works 10 hours a week and doesn't like people telling them what to do and feels so burned out, do I care? <laughs> I mean, if you have a very low capacity for burnout, uh, should I care? Right. Uh, defining symptoms of burnout include exhaustion, cynicism, and a loss of efficacy. Check, check, check. <laughs> but always for me, right? Uh, well, my efficacy is okay. Yeah, my efficacy is okay. But cynicism, pretty steady. Exhaustion, pretty much constant. Omnipresent. So, hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a number of studies also suggest that burnout can't be distinguished from depression. Which doesn't make it less horrible, but does make it as a as a clinical term imprecise, redundant, and unnecessary. I mean, if 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 it's depression, then we should only refer to it when we think it's depression. Yeah, I'm not an expert in in that sort of thing, but I think if you could specifically tie it to say your work life balance or you're too busy all the time, that's a special kind of depression. Yeah, I could see it as a subset that requires yeah. maybe a, um, a specific verbiage. As yeah. all burnout has perf- uh, depression, but not all depression is burnout. There you go. That's a good one. You should have been a part of this article, <laughs> oh, which says if burnout is universal and eternal, it's meaningless. If everyone is burned out and always has been, burnout is just the hell of life. Yes. (laughs) But if burnout is a problem of fairly recent vintage, if it began when it was named in the early 70s, then it raises some sort of question, you know, what is going on with modern society that maybe we ought to take a look at? Mm, This is all starting to get a little precious to me. I mean, for instance, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Now, granted, he was managing a bloody war that was splitting the country apart, but he freely confessed to burnout on regular occasions. He he was just completely exhausted. He didn't know if he could take any more of this, which sounds like burnout. Of course, it's the constant of the human condition. It changes its flavors and shapes a little bit through the centuries. I mean, nobody was burned out from social media in 1776. Are you sure? sure I'm sure they had burnout. Every day I get up, I make horseshoes all day long. What do I have to look forward to tomorrow? Making more horseshoes. You know, <laughs> hit the mead and get all grogged up. And I, you know. Well, it also says in this article, and I think it's true, the louder the talk about burnout, it appears the greater the number of people who say they're burned out. So 
again, it kind of gets to the, if it's the human condition. If it's just the human condition and, you know, your dad says, yeah, everybody's tired. Go back to work. Um, as opposed to you hear all these stories about burnout and you think, I've got that. Is there a special, do I get a check or a day off or what do I get for that? Um, right. Makes a difference. Plus, we now worship victim culture in a way that we never have really as a people before. The whiner was seen as weak, annoying, and, and to be uh, cast aside in most of human history. <clears throat> Whereas now the whiner is the, the king and or queen of a college campus, for instance. Hmm. Oh, that's right. You can't say king or queen anymore. Like homecoming king or queen, they're eliminating that. They're eliminating they freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. They're too male-centric, Jack. They're too patriarchal. I... Please do not use gendered language to, <laughs> to address everyone. Uh, I understand the king. <laughs> I understand the king and queen being gendered. Yes. Though I don't think it's causing any harm. But what's the gender of freshman... Oh, well, because it's got men in it. Fresh man, I think. Um, sophomore man. <laughs> well, actually, sophomore, I was informed by my favorite professor in college, is a combination of sophos, meaning wise, and moros, meaning fool. Sophomores are wise fools. Well, why is that gendered? Uh, it isn't. And then junior and senior is like, uh, you know, Jack Jr., Jack Sr. That's that's male dominated. That's patriarchy right there. That's where that... <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> So are we gonna? I, so you got to keep sophomore, junior, and senior. That's stupid. Uh, if you're gonna do it, because you know we don't say mailmen anymore. So if you want to say fresh people or fresh persons, how about of fresh, fresh meat? <laughs> <laughs> the fresh meat are here. Yar. Oh boy. Yeah, I know. I know. Since when did we start caring about the feelings of freshmen? Right? <laughs> Come on, get in the garbage can. <laughs> well said, Sean. Well said. <laughs> That's funny. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Obviously, careful because I mean I'm a physician and a healthcare provider. I am now much more comfortable in in people seeing me indoors without a mask. I mean, before the CDC made the recommendation change, I didn't want to look like I was giving mixed signals. But being a fully vaccinated person, the chances of my getting infected in an indoor setting is extremely low, and that's the reason why in indoor settings now. I feel comfortable about not wearing a mask because I'm fully man, I'm fully vaccinated. Yeah. Could you get Gavin Newsom on the phone, the governor of California? Dr. Fauci, the carefulest man in America, is still one full month ahead of California in, take, in terms of taking off his mask. I don't know if it was in that same conversation or a different one, though. Dr. Fauci went on to say you don't need a mask outside unless you're going into a completely crowded situation where people are essentially falling all over each other. Although that may have been a few days ago. Yeah, that was last week we ran that. Yeah, yeah. This is a new article, but it references that quote, even though really the whole the whole overarching narrative of this is haphazard, knee-jerk, way behind the science, changing their minds on a day-to-day basis. So, no, you can't cite anything somebody said last week. Okay, now I get why. But where we are that. right now is if you've been vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. That's just no. it. That's the whole story. Period. So a couple of big stories coming out of the uh, SCOTUS. 
number one, and this is getting a tremendous amount of attention, partly because abortion is such a hot button, and honestly, it, it could turn out to be a big deal. The Supreme Court announced yesterday they will review a restrictive Mississippi law. And that uh, review provides a clear path to taking a look at Roe v. Wade. Whether indeed there is a quote-unquote constitutional right to abortion, which is there's some fairly tortured logic back in 1973 that said, yeah, there's a right to privacy and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and actually, I like the idea Griswold. of a right to privacy. It's all about what, Griswold. What about Griswold? 1965. I was rooting for Connecticut. That uh, was about whether or not you could make it illegal for people to take uh, birth control, I guess. Right. But uh, they turned that into a right to privacy and extended that into abortion. And whether or not that makes sense or not, I guess we'll finally nail down. Yep. There have been a number of states that have intentionally passed more restrictive laws than Roe v. Wade would permit, hoping to get the court's attention and say, yeah, we're going to take a look at this. And sure enough, the soups have said, yeah, okay, we'll take a look at that in the fall, I guess. Uh, the Mississippi law would ban almost all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy with narrow exceptions. So uh, that's coming, and uh, with it, uh, chanting crowds, references to the handmaid's tale again, uh, and, and half-truths spouted from the steps of the SCOTUS by wild-eyed, screeching uh, advocates with spit flying out of their mouths. I always bring up this angle of the abortion story. Um the vast majority of people think it's horrific to do second term or beyond abortions. Almost everybody, Republican and Democrat, it's not even close. So I wish we could jump past the overturn Roe versus Wade, take away a woman's ability to have an abortion, and get to the particulars of first trimester, the vast majority of Americans say, okay. After that, no. I don't understand why we can't get there. Because that's that that would fit in with what most people think. You know what? I'm an idiot. I dug up all those statistics, knowing that we were going to have that discussion today, and and forgot that I dug them up. But having said that, Jack, you're absolutely right. And there are, I mean, for instance, most recently, 48 percent of Americans call themselves pro-choice, whatever that means. Although within the the uh, you know. Uh, the parameters that you just yeah, established. Yeah. I mean, I'm pro-choice, but good Lord, third trimester, that's infanticide. A lot of people would say that. Uh, so the numbers are virtually similar, or virtually the same. They call themselves pro-choice and pro-life. Um, and uh, is abortion moral at all? 44% say yes. 47% say no. And we could dig into some more of the specific numbers, but we'll have some time down the road to do that. But the idea that in the mainstream media would have you believe this, the most, that's right. You know, as reading a writer, he said, don't use the term mainstream media because they're way outside the mainstream of American thought. Sure. I mean, they're the mainstream of media, but that's like saying the mainstream of Antifa meetings. Yeah, that's a good point, because as you just pointed out there, there are more people in America that think abortion is immoral than moral. Well, that's not what you would take from the media. So, no, they're not mainstream. So what do you call them? The progressive media? I like corporate media pretty good as a term, but I don't know what's a good term when you're talking about all the big newspapers, the big TV channels. The corporate left media. If you have a great uh, idea, send it along. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. You can email us anytime. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. And I look at most of them, although the volume has become a little uh, extremely. And, and I personally think those of you who have been fighting the fight forever to make abortion illegal, I think you're better off fighting the fight to make it illegal after the first trimester because that's something you could actually pull off. I think you could actually get that done if you marshaled your forces there. But Yeah, I would agree. 
I would agree. And you would save a lot of babies, perhaps, um, although it's a complicated and sensitive subject, certainly. But I wanted to get to this one. A unanimous uh, Supreme Court ruling the other day. Supreme Court on Monday ruled for a man suing police for entering his home to check on his mental health um, and, and taking his guns and keeping them. They ruled unanimously that police are not completely free to enter someone's home without a warrant on the grounds that they are checking the person's health or well-being, a community caretaking exception to the law. Uh, Clarence Thomas, writing for the court, acknowledged that precedent allowed officers to undertake a warrantless search of a vehicle for a firearm, mentioned the caretaking tasks police often perform in modern society, etc., etc., but what is reasonable for vehicles is different from what is reasonable for homes. And interestingly... Uh, they were overruling uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit, um, who said, no, that's all fine. But they unanimously spanked them, uh, which I find, you know, notable. But this guy, he and his wife have an argument. She calls the cops, says, yeah, I'm worried about his mental state. So the cops come into the home. He says, I'm fine. But they say, no, you got to go for a mental health evaluation. Meanwhile, they confiscate all his guns and ammunition and won't give them back to him until he sues the city. And the soups ruled unanimously that that was overreach. It sure seems to be. Which I, I find uh, notable. There's also, uh, with the time left, a uh, ruling that's too complicated to explain to you. And the court ruled 7-1 to in favor of fossil fuel energy companies in a tune-up for a looming battle with local governments about liability for climate change. They ruled 7-1 to for the energy companies. Interesting. If you missed the next hour of the show, get it via podcast, armstrongandgetty.com.